0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your life and career forward. Folks, my guest today on the podcast is Mike Smirklo, co-founder and managing director of Next Coast Ventures. Mike is an experienced entrepreneur, investor, and business leader driven by the desire to turn ideas into reality. And having bought and scaled small businesses into a publicly traded company worth nearly a billion dollars in value... He has a deep understanding of hard work, dedication, and grit that truly powers successful entrepreneurship. And today, as a co-founder and managing director of Next Coast Ventures, Mike is a champion for a new generation of entrepreneurs building disruptive companies and big markets. His book, Mr. Monkey and Me, is what we call a, quote, real talk guide for entrepreneurs who want to cut through the noise and cultivate a mindset that supports greatness so we're gonna have some real talk with mike in just a moment here and i'm excited to talk more about his journey and unpack it so let's get to it mike welcome to the podcast sir
1: thanks adam i feel like i should call you the pause though is it the pause or you is it that
0: you 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 could call me whatever you want the pause adam it works anything you want so let's let's dig into it so you know um when I start to unpack and, and do research on my guests, I, I like to go way back, and you grew up in this little town called Toledo, Ohio. What were the people, you know, who were the people that raised you, and what was it like growing up there? I think that that this insight is really gonna lay the foundation to what we're gonna talk about
1: today. Yeah, it, it is. It's why I wrote the book, in, in terms of just mental mindsets, To start back, I was raised by a single mother. Um, I've listened to a lot of your shows, which are wonderful, and uh, you, you kind of hear this theme a lot of times with entrepreneurs. It was, came from nothing, didn't have great role models. The, the folks around me were all blue, cl- blue collar, uh, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of divorce, a lot of discord. And really I looked around at some point and said, it's gotta be something better than this, but I had no role models or idea of how to get to something other than that. But it was, um, you know, it was tough. Um, I grew up inner city Toledo, but was fortunate that I had a single mother that really gave me the, the push to, uh, to get out.
0: Well, that's good you had your mom, but there really wasn't anyone else around to really give you that pat on the back and said, and said go get it, right?
1: No, I tell some, fun. I mean, I tried the, the book. We'll talk about it in the book, but the book talks about some colorful characters, my Uncle Joe, my grandma, and just kind of the views they had of the world, which were must be nice, suck it up, you'll never get out of here, was kind of the ethos around it. And so my mental maps as a youngster, not exactly uh positive or filled with enthusiastic encouragement
0: that's so interesting too you know you look back at those characters in your life and you know we're talking people that lived in poverty that had a you know a foot on top of their head and they had to project their negativity and experiences on you when was the first time in your life at what age you recall when you started to break through into having those moments of positivity was there like a defining yeah. moment or is it just growing up and maturing and coming into your own?
1: No, yeah, it was a little, bit of, a little bit of both as always. But I just remember, and I talk about these poignant moments where I was, a, you know, I was playing basketball in Toledo in the inner city. And I just remember thinking there's got to be something better than this. And I heard this funny story. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting moment where sure. I, was dri- I was driving to school one morning and I had, uh, I had this beat up old car. And it's a gray January morning. I'm going to school. And uh, my car, we had this thing called that had floorboards that had rusted out. So if you grew up in the Midwest, right. you understand this concept. And I'm going through a puddle. And we'd always yell puddle to my friends. That meant lift your damn shoes up because the water is going to come up into the car. And I, <laughs> I went through this puddle. And I was like, fuck. You know, we're going to use the F-bomb yep. a lot here. But I was like, God, I, this has got to be something here. And I remember this voice comes on the radio and said it was a mattress commercial it's a weird way to start the podcast, but the, the mattress commercial said, you're going to spend two thirds of your life uh, doing, you know, working and other things, but a third of your life is going to be sleeping. So why don't you have a great mattress? <laughs> and I can remember this moment. And I was driving by an oil uh, refinery plant that we live behind. And the smell just pungent smell. And I thought, what What do you do? Like a third of my life sleeping. What about the other two thirds? And it was the first time I, I can smell remember thinking, yeah, like, wait a minute. Like, can I be proactive and thoughtful about the other two thirds of my life? And that really started it. Uh, that I kind of dove into some old self-help tapes that my mom had laying around, and and really tried to begin reprogramming mine through uh, through college. That's when I started to well, kind of shape my mind. Well, good on,
0: good good on you, man. And I mean, you jumped right into the the big boys, you know, early on. Um, you know, at Ernst Young as an auditor. I mean, where did that where did that Oh, I mean, God, who has yeah. a dream of, of who has a dream of becoming an auditor at Ernst Young? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what Or had, EY as they call it these yeah, days. Yeah, you know what I had. Pause. Uh, I had the. I want to get the fuck out of Toledo, Ohio, and make some money. And yep. I had no idea how to do that. I went to college. I literally, you know, stumbled on accounting. And was like, well, and this is so funny because this is way back in 1991. And uh, man, you made $28,000 as an auditor. Like, what? Wow. More money than anyone in my family had ever made in a year. And so it was really just go get a job, learn business, and make all this big money. I, I you know, at the time didn't know how I was going to spend it. Uh, it was, and,
0: and which which EY office are you working out of?
1: I was, re- I went to Chicago. So I, I left, I went to Got Miami, Ohio, so, front of go and then went to EY yeah, in I mean, Chicago. To-
0: I mean, listen, Chicago, Chicago's, Chicago's a big town by, by conventional standards. What was that like? You know, you're, 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 you're one of the, the big four firms. It's prestigious. There's lots of people there making lots of money. You're involved with heavy client conversations. I mean, was it intimidating? Was it, what was that feeling like, you know, in those first, you know, few months, first year?
1: Yeah, I'd say like three of primary emotions, Wayne, go back to one. It was like intimidating because I was around. I didn't know how to be a business person. I mean, I you know. I'd be professional. Like, That's be such professional, a problem. See, rodeo, be yep. Wear a suit and, and at the time, you know, show up. Um, two, it was um, inspirational because I was like, wow. Like I remember seeing at one point someone whispering like, that person makes six figures. Because when I was growing up, it was like yep. six figures was this mysterious you know, never, never land. And I was like, wow, that some guy makes $100,000 a year. And then the third thing, I hated the job, right? So it was this triad of emotions. But I remember thinking, okay, I'm in the game. I'm going to learn this thing. I hate this fucking job. I don't want to do this. But if I can take a – and that's a big thing. I think for a younger professional, I was like, I thought if I could do it for two years, I'll have a foundation the and right. I'll build from there. And that's what I did. What would you hate about it? Uh, I just hated the, it was just not inspirational. And then it kind of led to my eventual entrepreneurial path. It just didn't, it wasn't moving. And I looked at, at the people that were doing it who are super talented, but I thought, man, I don't want to do this. I want to inspire. I so, want to lead. I just had that kind of thing in my gut that I want to do something different.
0: Why Why do you think Lehman would be any better?
1: Uh, I, you know, Lehman was more Then I, you know, I got recruited to go to Lehman. I had to take a step back. Lehman was all about the prestige, Wall Street, you know, I'd watched, I'd watched Wall Street, the movie with Michael right. Douglas way back when, and Gordon thought, Gecko, man, Gordon Gecko, baby. How can I, you know, Gordon Gecko and Pretty Woman, you know, like the two movies from the eighties or nineties. I'm like, that's what it's gonna like. But I really did think I saw it as an opportunity to improve my resume, work with super smart people, which I did. Uh, a worked one. 100 hours a week, killed myself for two years, yeah. and learned a ton. And I felt if like I had so those two things, then I could go from there.
0: What kind of step? You said you took a step back. How so?
1: Well, because most of the people that were, and it's kind of a a repeat of my history of my my career, I had to go back and do things. Most of the people that were in my analyst class were right out of school. And they were all all out of Ivy League schools. So they were Princeton and Brown and Harvard schools. I didn't even, you know, I just could find them on a map. And I had to go back two and a half years out of college and be around all of these, you know, newly minted Ivy League graduates and explain that I was from Toledo, Ohio, and went to Miami of Ohio. And they looked at me like I they thought i think they thought i should have like um hay coming out of my hair or something
0: yeah (laughs) and overall it's 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 so funny but that's that's resilience man And i think that goes back to your dna of pushing through and you've always had that built into you that you want to move as far away from that life as possible
1: yeah and that's not what you want to be
0: doing and, and the drive behind and that's incredible so when do you think you had that first entrepreneurial itch was it something that inspired you or is that something that came as like a came to fruition
1: yeah. I think there's a progress. I mean, you know, there's part of this whole thing of like the scarcity mindset, which, you know, when I first came out, I was just like, I need to get educated. Then it was like, I need to make some money. And once I started to make a little bit of money, um, I still felt that uh, still probably today still have some scarcity mindset, but I thought, okay, now that I've got some foundation that I went and got my MBA at Northwestern and I suddenly, you know, put myself in a different category after five years out of undergrad I went out to Wilkins, Silicon Valley in the late '90s, and that's where it really hit. In business yeah, school, so written, a... yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, continue. Sorry. No, see, so like in
1: business school, I wrote down like I, I think I want to run something. It was just kind of this inspiration, and then I went out to the valley, Silicon Valley, in the late '90s, and I was like, I'm absolutely going to do something entrepreneurial. It was that strong, the just the energy.
0: Yeah, let's so let's dig it to that because I I love that era. I mean, that's a dot com boom. How I mean, how did you even get on the radar of of uh, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz? And for anyone who doesn't know them, I don't know why you're listening to the show, but yeah, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, like you know, I mean, there's there's certain themes that run through your life, and in fortune and luck is uh, a big one in mine, and I don't mean that like in a humble brag. I've just been lucky. Like you know, you kind of work hard, put yourself in a bunch of scenarios. But I was working at Morgan Stanley, I left Lehman. Went to Morgan, and Morgan was the absolute best place to be in the craziest time in technology. Yep. Uh, I was a junior guy, but there was so much going on that the senior guys were just basically saying, like, go cover this. And so uh, Mark and Ben had just sold uh, Netscape to AOL for like $8 billion, which at the time was crazy. And they were starting something new, and they needed capital. And one of my senior guys said, well, Mark wants to have breakfast with you to talk about raising debt. Like fucking Mark and Jason. I mean, yep. he was only 28, I was probably 29. He had been on the cover of time already. And I sat <laughs> down and had breakfast with him. And I always thought, sorry, like I sat down and like Mark is the one of the smartest humans on the planet. And within, within four minutes, I'm like, Mike, don't say anything stupid. So I'm just trying to like yeah. banter and keep up. Um, but luckily, you know, halfway through he said, I said, okay, really want to understand what you're trying to do. And he said, well, I got a better idea. Why don't you uh, come be part of it? And it was, you know, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Um, love to. And then I had to go interview with Ben and they offered me a job and I got to be one of the first, not, there was four founders of LoudCloud, um, which became Opsware, which became Ben's book, which became Andreessen Horowitz. But I got to go there right after the formation all the way through IPO. It was magical. Incredible. So,
0: so let's, let's talk about those early days. Let's talk about Ben and Mark. And what would you say is a golden lesson that you learned from either them collectively or individually? That well, you, like, really, about- that you, something, something that you really applied, that you, that you really was a foundational element for all your future success. It had to be. I mean, you're around greatness. so much.
1: So much. I mean, it was first and foremost, I give the example. It's like, it was like watching a marathon on TV and then like dropping in to Kenya and running with two hour marathoners. It was like that intense, just everything. <laughs> um, I the right things, there. But, but the yeah. two things I would took away and there's so many, and I didn't even realize at right. the time, but I would say like one from Mark was if you're going to do something dream big. And he, he was just, even then, like 20 years ago, he was just like, how do I build something big and meaningful? And I'm not going to waste time with the small, Um, which just kind of inspirational, but also instructive. And then Ben on building a company, Ben said something really early on. He said, uh, you know, the first 25 and only first 25 employees are the only ones that matter. What? Hmm. Uh, What? That's well, luckily I was in that group. (laughs) I was like, like that that got him one of those 25, right? Exactly. But Ben had this way. He's got this magical way of just being right at it. And I said, I don't, I don't understand that. That seems derogative. And he said, no, no, I'm not discounting the other. He's like, but the first 25 are the ones who then go hire the next 50 or 100. And so all the culture, all the training, mm-hmm. all the vibe are established by those first 25. So I'm going to put all my energy into getting people like you, and then you'll take that and cascade it. And it's such a basic lesson, but when you think about hiring, scaling, culture in a company, um, it just stuck with me even to today. The
0: podcast is brought to you in partnership with VinCherry, the recruitment operating system, the all-in-one tech platform purposely built for recruitment and staffing to unify your front, middle, and back office operations. VinCherry is designed by recruiters for recruiters. Both the company and the platform are the unique creations of successful recruiters who sold their business, saw a need for a better recruitment tech, and made it happen. And if you're looking to upgrade your recruitment tech and give your recruiters a new modern operating system, visit VinCherry.io slash that's v i n c e r e dot i o backslash p o z c a s t for an exclusive offer. Thanks. It's been reported that uh, Opsware, the company that you recruited for, was one of the first to talk about cloud and 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 SaaS. Um, was that something that was spoken about internally a lot there, or like had like did it did you guys know you were defining a new
1: category? It, it's it's it's. It's amazing. I mean, what, what Ben and Mark have done, like every time, and even I think that's why there's, they're amazing venture capitalists, is they were just early, probably too early. We, we were too early there, but we used the word cloud in 1999. No, no one really knew what cloud was, but they had this vision for computing, which is now the, basically the foundation for every uh, emerging growth company or big company. But we weren't really doing SaaS as it was defined, but it was just coming to fruition. Mark Benioff had just founded Salesforce. We were starting to, we were trying to do things, you know, in the cloud, but candidly, it was mostly on manual, um, non, non-internet enabled. So there was a bunch of trends that we were on the forefront of, but the business really didn't emerge and become AWS, for example, because of, uh, some missing technologies. It only came through the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, so let, let, let's kind of get to where we are now. So bringing it forward to service source, why did you make that decision to buy a company rather than build one from scratch? I think there's a lot of lessons to learn within that.
1: Yeah, so I left unceremoniously. Um, I've been pretty good about keeping my network up, but with Mark and Ben, I just, it was a frustrating time. It's, it's hard to imagine 20 years ago, the dot-com bubble had burst, uh, 9-11 had happened, we were at yeah. war, we were in a recession, and somehow I still thought, I want to be an entrepreneur, I talked to a bunch of uh, my mentors, and they said, well, there's only one problem. You don't have an idea. And so I, I again, serendipitously heard about this vehicle where called a search fund, you raise a small amount of comp- money from angels, and then you go look for a company to buy versus start. And I looked at my skills, took an inventory, and thought that's probably a much better application for me than, than starting something from scratch. Um, and that's what I did, and I, I got really lucky. I bought a great company. And ran it for thirteen years.
0: What was? What, what were a couple of those traits that you were looking for in the in the company to purchase?
1: Yeah, well, it, it's become a much more established um, asset class now, and my firm, Next Coast, actually has a fund dedicated to it. But at the time, it was buy a stable business. Um, look for the, the kind of idea was a Warren Buffett premise, which is buy a business that even an idiot couldn't screw up because. <laughs> You know you're kind of an idiot, not not to be pejorative to myself, but I never run anything. so you're trying to find a stable business profitable that had some potential, and the idea is you buy it from the founders, you spend a year or so learning from them, and then you try and improve it uh, and that's what we did,
0: yeah, that's fantastic. so let's get into next coast um. How's it different? I mean, what, what's point of difference? Right. I mean, every, I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a recruiter by trade. I recruited in the marketing, media, advertising industry. And every company, you know, like, all right, when you talk to candidates, you know, we talk about culture and it's the people, the people there. I'm like, that's bullshit. I mean, I, I mean, is everybody different? Of course. Like, what the <laughs> yeah. hell does that mean? But what, but, but what makes it like what makes it different? Like, how have you infused all this experience into making it impactful, especially for the yeah. younger folks joining your team?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, it's funny, like we, we joke at Next Coast, the venture capital, it's a venture capital firm. We're $500 million of AUM we've invested in 70 plus companies, but we're giving dollars to people who want dollars, right? So, you know, I mean, we're, we're fortunate that we get, I see amazing entrepreneurs every day. So how do you differentiate yourself? What we hang our hat on is everyone around our investment team has been operators and it, for a early stage venture capital firm, which we are, that's quite unique. Uh, what we say to our entrepreneurs is we've all we've all missed payroll, we've all hired, fired, we've all we've all woke up at three in the morning crying, wondering how the hell we were gonna, you know, what the hell we were gonna do with our business. So we've been there, done that, so to speak. But I think the the additive to that is we try and balance that with I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I tell my entrepreneurs every day, it's like you think about your job hundred hours a week, uh, your business, I think about it maybe, you know, six to eight hours a month you're always going to know more about it and so the danger of an operator becoming an investor is that i you know listen i'll tell you what to do right now that's that's a real danger so we try and balance our been there done that with a pragmatic that says you know we're backing entrepreneurs that's what we do and our job is to help them but not try and do their job for them so
0: i i gotta imagine when this group of of young entrepreneurs there's a variety of them that have you know concealed a lot of self-doubt probably massive amounts of overconfidence as well now we start to get into the concept of of of, of Mr. Monkey. Um, so let's let's kind of pull these two themes together here. <laughs> Who is Mr. Monkey? Who is he in our lives? What's he responsible for? How do we keep him off our back?
1: Yeah. Well, so, so the, the simple concept, and I think I think that everybody has a voice inside their head that is holding them back. And the interesting thing about the voice is. It, it shows up very differently. For me, it's been fear, and uncertainty, and doubt. You're not good enough. What are you doing? Fug. You're over your heads. What's yours? Give me yours, pause What's your uh, voice? That's, if, that's a,
0: yeah, it's a good one too. I think that um, it's not It's not a matter of overconfidence. It's a matter of, and it's not imposter syndrome because I don't feel like, I feel like I am totally where I'm supposed to be having the success that I'm having now and I'm proud of it. I think it's about, you know, being confident in the right room in front of the right bunch of people yeah. I think it's letting letting my magic shine which I think I've been doing a lot more lately and the world has been opening up to me Yeah, and I think it's time to take some bigger risks I mean I did that I just launched a brand new company we could talk about it offline web 3 division of recruiting called probably nothing talent and that's yeah. my big swing that's my yeah. big hairy audacious goal right now and but there's always that monkey on your back, and I think for me, one of the things—a the monkey—that I've had on my back for many years before I got into recruiting for the last seven years was failure. I mean, I went through a lot of failures in my career, and I always kind of have that chip on my shoulder of the underdog. But I figured out how to harness it and refocus it to use it as a driver for me.
1: Yeah, well, you've just—you've just described what my recommendation of the book is, and and my general belief is that you have this voice, and sometimes the voice can be, you know, it show up as um, apathy or pregnant, uh, putting things off. Like there's all different ways of this. And I actually think the voice never goes away. In My case, yeah. I thought, you know, I had this ma- uh, take a company public. I've got a great family. I made this much money, right? Right. Right. Like at some point, shut up. And to me, it helped me. So where I, I finally got to was help me personify the voice. And so I, I looked at the voice and said, all right, imagine it's a big, hairy beast, big, hairy beast. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like this thing coming on here, you know, here it is. Ah, there it is. Right. And it's, it's just yelling at me, telling me all these things. And the more I did that, then I was able to say, OK, that's what it is and, and put it in its place and respect it for what it is and for what it isn't. And that really was the uh, foundation for the book and the monkey's the star of the book. So I tried to have fun with it. I, I didn't want to write a, a memoir. So, it's so
0: good for marketing.
1: Yeah, it's good for marketing. But, you know, listen, the, the Mike Smirklow business story is like a blog story, but like a book was how do I bring this to life? And so what I want to do was make the monkey the big character in the book. And then I also, each chapter in the formula, there's a shape formula, has what I call monkey minders or specific tips that I learned from myself or more importantly from others about how to keep the monkey voice at bay.
0: Interesting, who's this book for?
1: When I wrote it, I thought of, actually I thought of my mom. Uh, I thought of, cause here's my general belief. I generally believe the world needs more entrepreneurs. I think we need, I think all the problems in the world, big, small uh, can be solved by entrepreneurship. Not everything under the sun, but you know, if you think about global warming to economic to job creation, I'd much rather vote, vote for and depend on entrepreneurs than I would government or not for profit. So my no general shit. belief is we need more <laughs> entrepreneurs. Secondly, we need more diversity in entrepreneurship. And this isn't like a rah-rah. It's like, listen, we need we certainly need more diversity on the normal metrics. We also need people like, you yeah, know, I thought about my single mother. Uh, n- n- not educated, worked hard. Like, how can you get someone like that to take a step forward and create a company that maybe employs four or five people? And so so it was really around that and 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 also current entrepreneurs that don't end up like, I just finished We Crashed. Um, you know, we don't need Adam Newmans from WeWork in the world. We need oh, smart no. people that, that kind of do the right thing and continue to contribute.
0: <clears throat> so we talk, I like to you know, talk to authors about the, the process. What did you learn about yourself through the process of writing this book?
1: Well, I, th- I learned that like most things, had I known how hard it was going to be, I wouldn't have done it. Right? <laughs> it, was, well, how long, it was. How long did it take you to like, write it from it, from, it first me, to, for, from
0: first word to from first word to print?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I took. I had been writing blog posts just about. I'd been <laughs> writing about this for a couple of years, but if, but bringing it all together, it probably took me a year and a half from actually like okay, I'm going to do this to having a physical copy. Um, the I love the writing process. The editing process just is really <laughs> it's hard, tough. and it's humbling. You know, when you get an editor oh, yeah. and they're like, uh, "That doesn't make sense," or that story, which is really interesting, has to go. I love stories, so it was hard to just see these. Like, oh, I love it story. And there it goes. That's my um, story. That's my story. Uh, but but so that it took about a year and a half. But I learned about myself is um, I love the creative process. I also learned I have massive respect for creators. Uh, you know, I kind of had it. I'm a big book and movie person, but my goodness, like the people that do this every day and depend on their economic viability, it's like wow um and third i realized i don't think i'll ever want to write a book again (laughs) it's like it's tough
0: no it's tough yeah it's tough yeah it's a tough one so let me ask you today like what's your most effective weapon in fighting self-doubt without without becoming this like crazy egomaniac or losing the value that doubt could have in showing you those those potential areas for growth because there's an importance of doubt right and keeping you in check and keeping you in line so what are some of those tools that folks could use
1: yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I talk about like the, the book has a formula and I won't completely learn the book, but it's called the shape formula and it helps me a lot. It's called uh SHAPE. So it's self-awareness, getting help, authenticity, persistence, expectations. Those are all about what I, I think are the most important mental aspects of entrepreneurship, but I think 100%. self self-awareness and help back and forth. Like, where am I, what am I Dude. dealing with? Where am I showing up and who can help me get better? it's just so easy but so hard let's
0: let's let's talk about self-awareness because that's that's a big one for me i mean i i I mean i spoke about it nauseam like i i had my self-awareness epiphany you know seven years ago when i got when i was working in marketing and advertising and i got let go i was working for gary Vaynerchuk, and i got let go from vayner and i had to have that that moment that self-awareness epiphany where i realized that i wasn't being self-aware
1: yeah
0: and then once i finally had that you know i fell down the the hole and I had to look back up. I was like, holy shit, who am I? What am I doing? What do I want to be doing? What am I good at? What am I not good at? How am I showing up in this world? And I think everyone needs to have that. And I think self-awareness is so tough because it's it's regulated by our ego and totally. perception and the environment and what we think others are thinking of us.
1: Yeah. it's, it's right? Like so if it's, I didn't think
0: about, sorry, go for it. Yeah, go ahead. I was just thinking, like if I, I, I had to break through the fact that I gave a shit about what people think about me. I don't care what anyone says. Everyone cares what other people think about them. But I had to get rid of that in order to break through. And that was a hard one for me.
1: Yeah, it's it's so hard. I mean, it's it's, it's really, we, we actually looked at Next Coast and we did this long longitudinal study in six years we've been in business and said, okay, look at our best entrepreneurs and our worst entrepreneurs. What's the one common characteristic we have they have in common? And it almost is like, just wow, it's self-awareness. And self-awareness is like everything you said. But it's really hard to get objective feedback, not what does mom think I'm good at or my spouse or what do I think, like (laughs) objective feedback and then look at it and go, I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. And then then the second really hard part is like, what do you do about it? it? What do you do about It, it?
0: It always comes back to simply, what am I good at? What am I not good at? And you know, I mean, I say it all the time, it's it's a nausea. I'm like, you know, Gary said to me, stop focusing on the things that you suck at and double down on your strengths and you get to a yeah. certain point of your life where like I'm gonna get so much further ahead if I focus on what I'm good at and get better at that and park all those things that like I was maybe trying to do that weren't really that important and, yeah. and refocus your energy. So Mike, let's, let's, let's bring it home here. Um, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every day?
1: Oh, well, it's such a great question. And I, there's like a gazillion of them. I mean, I do think like the basic things I heard this early on and whether I do this every day or not, but it's like, do what's right, do your best, treat other people like you want to be treated. And that's like motherhood and apple pie. But every time I think about things, do what's right. What, what would your mom say? Like, this, I say like what would your mom say? If you're going to think about doing something, would your mom say that's good or bad? Do your best and treat other people like you want to be treated. I I'd probably, rarely act on all three of those. But to me, yeah. that's just like the simple lens to view the world. Mm.
0: That's interesting. And, you know, I haven't asked this question in a while too, but I'm curious with you and your background here, what would you say your superpower is? I mean, what do you do better than almost, you know, anyone on this planet that makes you, Mike, who you are?
1: Uh, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I'm not that, I, I, like I was raised to humility is, is so corner to everything. I do. I do think if I had one superpower, um, it's the ability to help people position their business and think about how they can re- resonate with customers. I'm obsessed with customers. I'm obsessed with why people make decisions around using around own business. You know, why do you pay $5 for a Starbucks, but you won't put $5 in your savings account? Well, you know, why do, why do I spend $100 on a bottle of wine, but not on a pair of shoes? Like all these non- nonsense things. But so I think I'm, I'm obsessed with that. And I think in business context, probably positioning. And then I think on the mm-hmm. personal side, what people would say is, I'm I, I don't have a great filter. I tell people what I think about where they it's are, positive. and uh, I think it's positive. But
0: sometimes yeah, it's no, positive. it is. And, and, <laughs> and you know, la- last but not least, you know, you look back on your life, you look back on your upbringing that many would say was not setting you up to be in a position of success in your life, and you had to overcome a lot, and you had to fight, and you had to take responsibility for all of your success, and you look back in those times and. What was that what was that fire? What was that compass? What pulled you in the right direction to pull yourself up and harness that inner tenacity that you have today? And on the flip side, gratitude of your family, your life Absolutely. that you created, sitting in beautiful Austin, Texas. Mike Sparklow, what is your compass in life? What is your North Star?
1: It it's really simple. Like I, I look right now and I think about three attributes of my life and I'm, I'm blessed. And I look at my upbringing. I'm like, thank God. Like what a blessing. Because everything that everything that happened to me was foundational to where I am today. But right now it's like, am I a good father? Am I a good husband? And do I help in my day job? Do I help entrepreneurs chase their dream? That's easy. And I, I don't believe I, I hear, so I listen to your show, by the way, as we close out and then what a great job you do. You bring some amazing folks in and I hear these <laughs> people that have had much more aspirational answers to this question. Um, to me, I look <laughs> at it and go, you know, did I show up as well? I've been married for 20 years and my good husband, I got four kids and I husband the them get ready for the world and, and hopefully help entrepreneurs chase their dream and, and build businesses.
0: Mike, that's how you do it, man. That, that, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And I completely agree with you. And I always say this all the time. You know, my success metric is raising my kids to be incredible contributors to this planet and be better humans than my wife and I. And if I do that, then mission accomplished.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, keep up the great work. This is a really, really cool show and such an eclectic group of people. Um, I'm a huge fan. It's awesome what you're doing.
0: And and I appreciate it. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Hang with me one moment here as we wrap up. I want everyone to check out MikeSmerklo.com. I'm going to link it up in the comments here and you can take Mike's entrepreneur survival test to see if you have the mental toughness to survive a marathon of being an entrepreneur. Believe me, I'm in it. It is hard as fuck. And please check out Mike's book, Mr. Monkey and Me, A Real Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs. And it's out now on Amazon and you know where to find it all. Mike, thank you again so much for joining me and everyone listening. You know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. If you like this show, leave a review. A rating, it goes a long way. Mike, where could folks connect with you directly?
1: Um, It's at mikesmerklo.com is where all the information is. The book's on Amazon. And last but not least, every dollar of the book goes to a charity I set up for diverse and underrepresented students interested in entrepreneurships. If you buy the book, it's going to help that. It's on Amazon and at mikesmerklo.com.
0: Massive. I love it. That's fantastic. So let's wrap it up, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on other social media channels. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another. And catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody.
1: Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The PauseCast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.